Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host, Bill Bannum, and today we're going to hear from Tony DeBlau about boss behavior, ways leaders can better engage and motivate employees, and how to avoid burnout in the workplace. Tony has an extensive background working with individuals and corporations in the areas of organizational design, human resource management, leadership, and development. He's also the author of a couple of books, including one called Tangling with Tyrants. Tony, welcome to the show. Bill, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Firstly, beyond my wee introduction there, Tony, please tell our listeners more about yourself, your career background, how you work with companies, and and your previous roles. Well, absolutely. I am a Silicon Valley kid and grew up in technology, so it made sense. Uh, I found myself, I'm one of those fall into HR people. I did some business and customer service background prior to landing a role in recruiting. And really through technical recruiting, I found out a lot about the Valley, people, how companies work, how leadership works, what's good, what's not, um, little you know, startup experiences and enterprise. And through that, uh, found myself really enjoying HR and how organizations work and the behaviors that make things great and great places to work versus not. And uh, wrote some of those experiences along the way, particularly around boss behaviors and uh, how managers can be better managers with their people. Okay, thank you very much. Now, you've previously said that motivation is at the heart of momentum. When people work in a job or environment that is stale or uninspired, creativity and productivity are threatened. People need to believe that their contribution makes a difference and is valued by the business. How is passion, Tony, fostered by factors such as vision, products, leaders and culture? Well, the fundamental thing about work and why people come to work and why companies are great places to work versus not, is people perceive value around what am I doing? How is it moving the needle? Am I being recognized for it? So a lot of times what we forget about how great organizations manage is exactly what are we structuring for people? And so when you look at it from a leadership layer, how are we going to win? How are we going to make money, et cetera? how is the overall holistic engine of my people, my human capital, so to speak, going to make those things happen? And then my people on the ground in the trenches, the managers, have to put in the frameworks and the channels and recognize regularly, but really structure people in a way that says, this is specifically how you contribute to that overall vision, to that overall end. And people can get excited and have belief in that. And I think a fundamental value is believing that what I do makes a difference. And reinforcement mechanisms within a company help people to constantly move in the right direction to where they feel excited and passionate about what they're doing because it's connected. Their, Their very contribution is connected to these larger company and organizational goals. And so when companies get that right and bring those two pieces together, and certainly from the HR perspective, programmatically, strategically, we're drawing on the types of mechanisms that will make that union stick and have really, you know, super glue 
together uh, the values and needs of the employee and the vision of the company, you see fantastic things happen. Awesome. Thank you very much. So fantastic things happen and motivation is great, but not if leaders don't recognize and prepare for potential employee burnouts, which is something that I know you've spoken about a lot in the past. What, what, are, what are some of the challenges for organizations in developing ways to be more effective at early detection of an employee's responses to stress and in turn provide adequate coaching to avoid longer term issues? One of the interesting things about how people respond to stress or how they classify stress, you know, is, is, is really recognizing, you know, that they have stress at all. And in a lot of organizations today, especially in tech, where you're globally connected, a lot of times you're overcommitted as an organization, uh, your, your priorities get lost. You know, the stress of breaking through those clouds is really where a lot of the challenges with employees begin. And so managers who do a good job in giving just enough structure and direction for their employees to keep them on track when things get a little crazy, uh, tend to have more success over the long run. Of course, wrapped around that is recognition, contribution, value, of course. But really where you know the stress starts to break down is I as an employee start to lose the distance between performance and reward. That reward not, isn't necessarily financial. It's the reward of, again, did I contribute to that end? If I feel like I have too many dead ends or too many open-ended questions, my manager is not helping me do that, or their manager is making it worse, right? They're 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 beating on the performance side, and there's you know it's all stick and no carrot, right? Then uh, I start to you know spin out of control into this you know I'm not doing anything of value. Um, I start to blame others, and you and you move towards this area of which is the extremes now. I'm either burnt out, and typically that's characterized by people kind of blaming everything outside of outside of them. It's this person's fault. It's the leadership is bad. It's this. It's that, and so then they become unproductive. The other side of the extreme of that is I'm depressed. Now it's all me. Oh, I'm a loser. I'm no good. I'm no this. You know, they must be right. I can't do anything right. So you get these huge dynamic extremes of unproductive people, or sometimes even even worse, because their stress response to all of this is not um, checked in on and restructured or re-put on the tracks. And I think that's a key part of talent management that is the partnership between what, you know, say HR roles should be doing, as well as the leadership and management layer to make sure that if we start seeing a lot of oscillation People are leaving. People are out. There's a lot of absenteeism. There's, uh, I would call it a kind of anger that goes on in the organization where just people are more at each other's throats than they are doing work. You begin to see enough of these signs and data points that uh, you need to really have a broader holistic intervention. So you can avoid a lot of that by simply paying attention to the clues of are we overcommitted? Do we need to come sort of calm down and reset priorities? That might be a daily, it may be a weekly type of thing to ensure that people don't go off the rails and stay productive. 
Okay, and this is connected to a term that you coined uh, a few years back when you gave a presentation on how HR professionals can partner with managers and dealing with uh, employees and, and stress before burnout or depression uh, called employee adaptive displacement. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, at the time, I, I was challenged as an HR practitioner to understand how I can show up to my business partner's stakeholders more effectively. You know, they're looking to me to, to help them with these kind of very tough challenges. And I didn't see a lot in the research that I was satisfied with that really talked about this in-between state. So I talk about burnout, I talk about depression, but what are the precursors to that, right? Somebody doesn't just become burnt out or just become depressed overnight. Something moves them in that direction. And so what, what is that early capture state? How do I get those red flag signals earlier, particularly as a manager? And it's, it's, it's not easy. And that's why I found out that people go through a process, what I call, you know, this adaptive displacement. They're starting to get displaced, meaning they may be going into these extreme conditions of stress response. But at the same time, they're showing up productive, right? So I feel that a manager can start to signal if they're in that kind of drifting state, which is the employee adaptive displacement, by starting to pay closer attention to cues that could come from the form of an, an otherwise high-performing employee suddenly starts you know, to slip for no apparent reason. You know, Maybe you ruled out some personal thing, but they just seem to be more frustrated with their work or they, uh, the conversations you have start to shift. They're a little bit more like, well, if this team would start to be doing this, I could still do something better than I'm doing now. So it's, 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 it's small cues, right? It's subtleties that should nudge a manager into saying, hmm, this is starting to feel a little bit different. I'm seeing a pattern here in, in terms of our one-on-ones, maybe the quality of the work. Again, still productive. It's not completely terrible. But it's nonetheless a signal, maybe subtle signal, but it's a signal nonetheless that I need to lean in a bit more and figure out, you know, what, what's going on. And, and again, it could be, as I mentioned earlier, it's a structural issue. You're, you're overcommitted. You don't know your priorities, and that's why you're reacting, and it's temporary. Or it's signaling something deeper. But if you can get in front of it faster, you probably have a better chance of bringing the person back. And as we know, I think there's probably more people who get burnt out than there are depressed folks, but it's nonetheless spending time figuring out these cues and how to bring people in sooner is super important as we are seeing billions of dollars and a huge percentage of people being lost to these um, challenges they have in their workplace, hoping that they're going to go to the next place and find a better solution. It's, it's, it's better to have a better strategy or holistic solution that management can employ to get in front of these conditions, these uh, signals faster. Okay, thank you. And, and uh, you were talking partly there in general terms about management. Uh, let, let, let's hone in, though, uh, on that very difficult situation. If uh, what, what happens if an employee's major source of stress is their direct uh, line manager, their, 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 their principal boss, if you will? How, how can HR help to mediate 
manager employee relations to reduce negativity and create mutually beneficial results for the staff member and the management team as a whole? Well, clearly the ongoing top reasons, you know, Gallup shows this, other research shows this, that people leave jobs as their their manager. You know, it may not always be first place, you know, but it's always places in the top five. And, and it's a key source of stress as well. It's, it's, it's something that many people struggle with who are otherwise good, productive, you know, people. And there's challenges with how do you deal with these personalities? Uh, I think like everything else, the first step is, you know, looking at yourself and your own, your, your own social or soft skill, if you want to call it uh, toolkit to dealing with these kinds of challenges. Cause Personalities that I classify as a tyrant never go away. I mean, I've met very few people who've never experienced that in their work life, which is amazing. Uh, but for most people, it, it comes up somewhere, or it comes in the form of a coworker, less than a, a direct supervisor. But with a direct supervisor who controls whether they can, you know, fire you, give you more money, of course, it becomes much, much more stressful and difficult uh, to manage uh, rationally. But one of the things that uh, is very powerful in the interpretation of a message from somebody like, you know, that's acting in a tyrant way or whatever your classification may be of the behavior is really oftentimes just reframing the situation at hand. Like what, what exactly is being told to me? What, why am I interpreting it this way? And why am I letting it, you know, get to me? One of the hardest things people have to do in learning any kind of skill whether it's a soft skill or a technical skill or what have you, um, is there are just certain conditions that apply. And in this case, I mean, you're not going to change the person, right? If they're showing up to you in that way or others, uh, you know, you're not going to become their psychiatrist. You're not trying to be. You're not trying to be their coach and making them a better person or whatever. They, they're showing up the way they're going to show up. But how you choose to react to that is up to you completely. So how do you choose to show up with that situation is very key. And so I take the stance of, I, I, I really don't care as much what category of bad boss it is. And there's a lot of um, like, are they this type, this type, this type, this type, it doesn't matter. I'd rather have one, you know, uh, bulletproof vest that says no matter what type of meanness or unfairness shows up to me, I have a way to keep myself in control understand what's really being asked for, focus only on these objective items, and then, you know, proceed from there. And if I have to make bigger decisions about my life and my career, then I will make those rationally, not just because I'm emotionally wrapped up in somebody's, you know, reaction. So that's really, to me, is the key, is that it starts with the employees having the right skill sets to address that kind of behavior. And of course, on the flip side, from an organizational perspective, I think we've seen a lot over the years uh, around uh, legislating, I would say, you know, bad boss behaviors. We've seen that show up in a lot of harassment workshops. You know, there's a lot of international um, you know, legal practice and policies around this. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the solution because you can legislate this until, you know, all, all day, but you still need to be prepared yourself to address those things. So from an organizational perspective, between what normal, you know, HR business partners, L&D organizations, um, and just 
strong executive teams do is they look at their core values. They look at what, a, what kind of culture do they really want to have. And if they find that there are huge patterns of this going in the organization, and HR can help provide the data to support that people leaving, you know, maybe they're an EAD, maybe there's other issues. That's the data that's behind saying, like, I don't care if Frank is a top salesperson, half his team keeps turning over because they can't stand working with the guy. We need to stand behind our values. We need to stand behind either getting him help or potentially, you know, exiting him. And as hard as it is for employees to deal with difficult bosses in that situation, it's even harder for HR people sometimes, even the top HR people, even the executives, to go to the CEO who values this person as their top salesperson and, and, and convince them of the broader damage they do to their brand, their reputation, ultimately their revenue by not addressing these people. So, you know, in, in, in a nutshell, I think uh, the person dealing with the behavior can adopt a series of methods that help them, you know, address the behavior without being affected by it and kind of move through it in an effective manner. Organizations need to be sensitive and look at, you know, uh, individuals making tough calls, let alone training to ensure that, you know, managers, this is how we want you to show up. It's a combination of efforts. And I think it is absolutely one of the key strategic imperatives for all HR people, executive or otherwise, to help make aware of these patterns of behavior, provide the data behind why it's problematic and not working, and then make choices accordingly, including, you know, programmatic or consulting help to uh, create a change in the organization. Okay, awesome. And we are already coming towards the end of this particular show. Before we wrap things up, Tony, one last question for you. And that's how can our listeners learn more about you and connect with you? Well, the best way to get a hold of me is just go to LinkedIn and look at Tony DeBlau. You'll see more of my background information or Amazon look at Tangling with Tyrants if you want to look at the book. And for those of you who might be interested in some uh, scripts or starter words to help with certain workplace scenarios, I also have an app called iPocket Coach that you can find in Apple and Android. And uh, happy to speak further about these and any other topics in the world of uh, human capital, human resources. Wonderful. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Tony DeBlau, thank you very much for being a guest on the HR Chat Show. Thank you, Bill. And listeners, as always, until next time, happy working. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.